Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Word Community Church. How are you? It's great to have you here today. Let's stand together for this beautiful day. Today is the day the Lord has made, the Word says, right? This is the day. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Every day he gives us breath in our lungs. Is a day worthy of praising him with that breath. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's bow our heads and our hearts together and ask him to bless the time we do have together. In your presence, Lord. There is sweetness, there is peace, there is true joy, and just an overwhelming, Lord God, amount of just release of the burdens of the day, Lord. And we come to you in Jesus' name and by his authority, authority and finished work on the cross, in your presence to give you praise, Lord, that's due to you and you alone. Father God, we just ask that you would help us guard our hearts, that our minds will not wander to things that are not honorable before you, Lord God, to things that do not give you praise, Lord and to perhaps replace you in our hearts with things, Lord, that we see around us. And God, we just want to ask that you would forgive us for that, Lord, and allow us to see you as we study your word today, Lord. Allow us to see more of you and more of Jesus, more of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Show us more of yourself, Lord God. Allow us to be drawing near to you and growing in you as disciples of Jesus. Lord, we want to center ourselves and fix our eyes upon you and you alone this day. We pray for an anointing upon Pastor Frank as he teaches your holy word, Lord. Upon those that are suffering with illness right now, Lord God, we just pray for healing. Lord, in Jesus' name and by his authority as the great physician, Lord, the creator, the sustainer. And Lord, we want to keep our eyes fixed on you through this day and through this week. Until we see you face to face, Lord God, that we may be about your business, Lord, of sharing your love with those around us. Maybe we, we be one in you, Lord God, as we lift you up in praise. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs> That's my counter over there. <laughs> Trust in you when I can't see you. I know you're here when I can't feel you. I will not fear, I will trust in you. And I will not be afraid. In the battle, it's close at hand. I know you're with me to help me stand. I will trust in you.
Amen. You may be seated. How good is God, right? We give thanks to the Lord. Sorry, I have to um, shake my butt at you. Um, we give thanks to the Lord because He is good. And He blesses us. I want, to, I want to invite up, we have some special things that are going on here today. So, I'd like to invite up Jackie, Christine Baldino, and Marisol. Please come up. Jackie led VBS, Marisol and Christine. Yeah, so could you pass those out? We just want to thank you for your service. I know that there's, you know, I know Barry, Barry Shark did a, a great job. Barry, you were here every night. And uh, Dante, if you guys want a flower, I'll, have, I'll get you a flower and give it to you next week. But um, I didn't think you wanted a flower today. But ladies, we have flowers for you. And we thank you so much for your service and all that you did. Great success, great job. Wonderful. Okay, Sue, can you help me with these? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, would the families please come up who are going to be dedicating their children today? If you could come up, you could uh, stand right here before the altar. have two beautiful children. So let me share with you the Word of God, two important things that God tells us about children. One is children are a gift from God. They are a gift from God, and uh, it says that they are a reward from Him. In Psalm 127, verse 3, as gifts, love, right, cherish, appreciate, because children, as the word says, are a gift from God. They are his reward from him. And as a gift, right, God calls us to love them, to cherish them, to appreciate them, to be thankful to him for them, because having a child is a privilege that God has given to uh, each of these couples. Second thing the word says is children are a sacred stewardship. When Hannah was given Samuel as her son, she prayed and said, I asked the Lord to give me this boy and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. Folks, look at me. A couple parents, look at me for a second. So if you understand stewardship, stewardship means you're a manager. Right? Everything God has given us, we manage. We don't own it. You can't take it with you. I've done hundreds of funerals. I've never seen anybody take anything from this world with them other than their faith in Jesus Christ. So these precious children have been given to you, and essentially, really, they are on loan to you. You will have them for a certain amount of time. Stewardship requires responsibility, and then one day you'll be held accountable by God for the teaching uh, the demonstration of your love for God before them. So we are called to raise them up in accordance with God's will, 
in accordance with God's word and in accordance with God's way, and the way is Jesus Christ. So when we do dedication here, this is not a uh, religious ceremony. It is a responsible commitment to understand that. So people come to me, and I get this frequently during the year, they call the church or they watch us on television and they come, and or they're an infrequent flyer who fly in and out of here you know, year by year, and then they'll come to me and they'll say, would you dedicate our child? And I refuse to. Because it is not me who's dedicating this child to the Lord, it's you. And if they have not dedicated themselves to Christ to be faithful in worship, to be faithful in prayer, to be faithful in the word, then what we, we have is just a ridiculous religious ceremony, which is what you have and which is what I grew up with, right, in my uh, growth in the Roman Catholic Church, which everybody baptized their child. And my family, they baptized us, and pretty much they never went to church again after that. To me, that's just total hypocrisy. So you have dedicated your children uh, to the Lord. And um, what I will do today is I will just stand here really in proxy, and I will pray a prayer of dedication. But had you not dedicated your child to the Lord, you wouldn't be standing here today, okay, before the congregation and before me. So the word of the Lord, okay, Jace, and uh, let me say it, Lariah? Lariah. It says, then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them, and Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So in presenting these children for dedication, you signify not only your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but also your desire that they may early know and follow the will of God, may live and die a Christian, and come unto everlasting blessedness. In order to attain this holy end, it will be your duty as parents to teach them early the fear of the Lord, to watch over their education that they be not led astray, to direct their youthful mind to the holy scriptures and their feet to the sanctuary, and to restrain them from evil associates and habits as much as it lies, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you do so? And then I ask the congregation, will you commit yourself as the body of Christ to support and encourage these parents as they endeavor to fulfill their responsibilities to these children and to assist them by nurturing them in growth towards spiritual maturity? Hold it a second before you nod your head and say, we will. There are people up in Sunday school who are doing this very thing. There are people in the nursery who are doing this very thing. There were a load of people here all week in vacation Bible school doing this very thing. So before you nod your head again, uh, will you commit yourselves to assisting these parents, praying for these children, so those children will be raised up in the way of the Lord? If you say, I do, please say, I do. Now let's pray together. If you all bow your heads. Our loving Father, we do here and now dedicate in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit these precious children, Jace and Lariah. And Heavenly Father, we humbly pray that you will take these children into your loving care, abundantly enrich them with your heavenly grace, bring them safely through the perils of childhood, deliver them from the temptation of youth, lead them to a personal knowledge of Christ our Savior, and help them to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, and to preserve them to the end. Uphold the parents with loving care, 
that with wise counsel and holy example, they may faithfully discharge their responsibilities both to this child and to you. For in the name of Jesus, we pray this. And if you would just bring the two children here close to me, I'm just going to put my hands on them. And in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, on this morning, Lord God, as these parents have already done, Lord, I know them. They did it when they were in the womb. We dedicate, Lord God, these precious children, Jace and Lariah, to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you would like to say a word, you have an extra hand? You want to hold it? Hello, everybody. Um, I just want to, of course, thank the Lord Jesus Christ for um, allowing us to have this beautiful baby boy. Um, we, we did experience um, a loss before Jace, um, a miscarriage, and <clears throat> uh, the Lord was gracious enough to, um, to, to give us a, a baby boy shortly after. And, um, you know, I just, I, I think about, you know, just the experience that I've already had with being a father to Jace. Um, you know, it, it, it just helps with understanding the relationship that God the Father has with his children. And it gives you a perspective that, you know, that you, you, that you would normally get, of course, all the fathers and mothers here understand having a child. You can sort of see now that, that sort of the relationship and, and how you care for them. And so, um, I'm just really grateful, and I, I'm thankful for the the church and the congregation. Um, you know, and I, and uh, I'm just thankful to the Lord. And thank you. Thank you, man. God bless you. Yes, we we just thank the Lord Jesus for another blessing that we've added to our family. Um, we are so grateful to all of you for your continued prayers over all of our children and the love that you show us all. And we are just thankful to be in such a great body of Christ. Amen, Nikki. God bless you. God bless you. We have flowers for you. You could be seated. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Good morning, Nellie. I heard Nellie today <laughs> just now. Um, great. I'm, I'm glad to see you all. It's, it's been a beautiful mor- morning so far. I'm going to give you guys some announcements. Okay. Um, today is Bagel Fellowship after service in the Rock Center. So join us right after service. Hope Moms is meeting today after church in the youth room upstairs. Life Givers is meeting today as well after church in the parent-child room. The women are meeting for prayer this Saturday at 8 a.m. here in the church. We're having a worship night on Friday, June 30th at 7 p.m. here in the church. 
Uh, this worship night will be in English only, so please join us. And Pastor Frank will be having a baptism class soon uh, for those interested in being baptized. If you haven't already filled out a card in the Welcome Center, um, it's in the Welcome Center and drop it off in the folder marked Completed Forms. Uh, someone from the office staff will be in touch with you. All right. So do we have any guests here for the first time? We would like to welcome you. Please raise your hand. Any guests that are here for the first time? Welcome over there on my left. Keep your hand raised. Our usher is going to bring over some information for you. One service is done. Uh, you can bring it over to the sound room there on my left, and we'll give you a free Jesus DVD. Anybody else? Did I miss anybody else? And over here on my right, welcome. Uh, the usher, again, will give you some information. Okay, and um, the announcement for the people that are listening in Spanish. Um, if, if you have someone listening in Spanish right next to you, please... Um, Pay attention, help them out, okay? Um, uh, para los que ten, estén escuchando en español la traducción, por favor levante sus manos si están escuchando en español la traducción. Eh, ¿No hay nadie? ¿No? Okay, um, por favor ponga su teléfono en silencio. Okay, muchas gracias. Okay, y para los que estén escuchando en la casa, pongan su teléfono en silencio. Okay, thank you. Even though I didn't understand that, it just sounded really cool, didn't it? I don't know. I just, God is amazing with language. Let's stand together as we uh, spend a few minutes uh, with an offering. If the ushers can come forward. This is part of our worship time where we um, just take a moment and just pause and get back to the Lord some of what he's given to us. You know, his provision is all about us, right? It's in so many different things. In, in the very breath that we have and the time that we have and and the things we see tangibly, more importantly, in the fact that he has provided his son Jesus, right? So this is a, a time to offer back to him from the stewardship he's given us. As Pastor was saying about children, it's the same thing for finances and other things. So let's bow our heads in our hearts. Father, we ask that you bless this offering, Lord. Multiply it, Lord God. Use it to advance your kingdom here, Lord God, to allow for your word to be proclaimed with boldness and with authority beyond these walls, Lord God. Father, we just pray that there would be many that would come to know you. Father, from the effort given here, Father, from the offering, the sacrifice given from our hearts to you, Lord God. We praise you. We thank you. We know you own all things, Lord, and we just thank you that you allow us to give back. We do so willingly, Lord, and with cheerful hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you know Psalm 91? Raise your hands. Psalm 91? It's a great psalm. If you haven't read it, go and read it. We're going to sing it. But it's a sweet, sweet reminder that the Lord is about us, around us, and he provides for us. Your name 
Father, you answer me.
You know, the Lord has given you his indwelling Holy Spirit to overcome and be victorious. We are more than conquerors through Christ.
not a good message in this user-friendly times where everybody wants their ears entertained, right? Let's pray together. I want to pray for a little girl right now. Her name is Emily. She's precious. She's seven years old. She's battling more things than any of us in this church have ever battled in the few years that she has walked this earth. She has had, I believe, about 34 different surgeries. And Father, we want to lift up that precious little child to you, Lord, seizures, Lord, whatever's going on, we want to pray right now in the name of Jesus. We call upon the blood of the Lamb. We're asking for your mercy. We're asking for your grace. We're asking that you would touch that little girl, Lord God, with your healing hand and speak your healing word right into her life and you would heal that precious little girl and that you would bless her, her mother, her father, her grandma, her grandpa, the entire family, Lord God. I can imagine their hearts are broken seeing what's going on and I'm praying, Lord God, right now in the name of of Jesus. Heal her and make her whole. For we pray this in your glorious name. Amen. 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 Hey, stay standing. We're going to be starting a series today that we're going to be doing for the next month called Spiritual Warfare, as I promised. And um, today, we're going to begin Know Your Enemy. 
we're going to be looking at know your enemy, know the weapons, and know the tactics. So we're going to be starting here today with 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. The Word of God says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We are not ignorant of his devices. Father, open up our hearts and minds. And I pray, Lord God, right now, the enemy don't want this message going out from here today. And he don't want people hearing it. And Lord, he will be on the attack, on the prowl, Lord God, right here in this congregation right now. And Lord God, as this message goes out on the airwaves and it goes out, Lord God, over the course of these next weeks and months and years, he don't want people hearing this. So, Lord God, I want to pray, Lord God, right now, a shield of protection over each and every soul, Lord God, that's here in the sanctuary today, those, Lord God, who will be watching in future days, that you would protect them, Lord God, from the attacks of the enemy, that the shield of faith would be up, that the breast of righteousness, Lord God, would be upon their chest, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth around their waist, and, Lord God, their shoes fitted with the peace of the gospel, Lord God, firmly in place, that they may be able to stand firm against the schemes, the plots, the plannings of the enemy who desires to destroy them. I pray this, Lord God, and lift it up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So if you look here, again, you can be seated. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant of Satan. Don't be ignorant of the enemy. Don't be ignorant of his devices, of his strategies, his schemes, his plots, his plans. Don't be ignorant uh, about them. Because the enemy has a plan for your life, just as God has a plan for your life. The enemy has a plan for your family. The enemy has a plan for your children. He has a very strategic plan. The, the word there is noema. And again, it speaks about a strategy. It speaks about a, a plot. It speaks about a scheme. He has got a plan to destroy you. That's his objective. To destroy you. So here, again, we are not to be ignorant of his devices. Now, in the Word, the Word reveals to us uh, throughout, from Genesis to the book of Revelation, there are these revelations about the enemy. Here you see just uh, the the names that are given to him that are all really, they really kind of. uh, explain to us and reveal to us his character and his nature. Now, one of the questions is, why does God reveal so much to us in the Word of God, again, from Genesis to the book of the Revelation, why does he reveal to us so much about the enemy? I don't, again, I say this to you, when you read the Word, you have to ask yourself the question, what is the purpose of this parable? What is the purpose of this book? What is the, purpable, uh, the purpose of, um, of this specific passage? Ask yourself that when you're studying the Word. Don't live you know, brainlessly. Don't live aimlessly. What is God trying to teach us in His Word? Why did God reveal so many things to us, so many detailed things to us about the enemy? Because He wants us to know about Him. He wants us to know who he is, what he is, where he came from. He wants us to understand his schemes and his plots. Some some of you sitting here, you you are engaged in combat sports. 
And when you're going against somebody, right, if they are a good boxer, it's good to know that they're a good boxer because what they're going to be trying to do is punch you right in the face. If, you know, if they are a karate guy, you know that kicks are going to be coming. If they are a wrestler or a jiu-jitsu guy, you know you're coming to take me down. By the way, if, 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 um, if Fernando comes at you, let me just tell you in self-defense, what you do is you run. You run as fast, you run. You run as, fast as you can. That's, that, that's it. You forget about using any martial arts. Just run as fast as you can. And hopefully you're going to be able to outrun him. <laughs> I just thought that when I was sitting there and I was looking over at you. I said... But if, if you understand the tactics, the strengths, the weaknesses of your opponent, it is a great advantage. And that is, I believe, why God gives us this very carefully detailed revelation of the enemy. So let's, let's look at this morning, let's see what you know about the enemy, and let's see what the Word of God shares with us about the enemy. So I'm going to share with you a number of things. The first, the enemy was once a guardian cherub. He was once a guardian angel. He was a, a, a super angel. And in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11 through 15, you have, this is called an oracle, a prophecy about the king of Tyre. Now, the, the, the previous 10 verses spoke about a literal king of Tyre. And you'll see here, as you look at Ezekiel 28, 11 through 15, suddenly it's not talking about a person, a human being. It's talking about an angel. So it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You are the seal of perfection. That's not something God says about people. Full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, you were in the Eden, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Right? Again, not talking about anybody besides Adam and Eve, and he's not talking here about Adam and Eve. Every precious stone was your covering, uh, sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, ona, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. He was apparently very beautiful. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. Timbrels and pipes, what is that? What is that? Referring to music. Yeah, they're musical instruments. Some people believe, some scholars believe, that he was actually the worship leader of heaven. Right, the heavenly chorus. When Jesus was born, right, the shepherds in the field, the angelic chorus came before them and began to prophesy or, or, or really praise the birth of Messiah. It says, um, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. He was created. It's important. He is not eternally existent, okay? He's not eternally, he hasn't been here all along. God created him. You are the anointed cherub who covers, that's a picture, he was a leader who covered, led many, or many, many other angels. I established you. You are on the holy mount of God. You walk back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. What could that mean, the fiery stones? You ever just look up at the uh, stars? The planets, even the planets, which basically are not stars, and you look at Saturn on a given night, it shines like a star. I believe that, that this is, was his dominion for a time, the universe. 
You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So God created this anointed cherub, this super angel. Second, the enemy fell. It tells, it tells us in Ezekiel 28 again, 11 through 19, I'm sorry, 15 through 19. It says, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till inequity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub. By the way, this is speaking about the future, not just what happened back then and what is happening now, but it speaks about the future. We'll look into that in a few minutes. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. He looked in the mirror and said, look at how good I look. Look at how beautiful I am. Look at how wonderful I am. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your inequities, by the inequity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you. Right again, speaking about something in the future. We'll get there before we're done today. And it turned you to ashes and upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you, all who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you and you've become a horror and shall be no more forever. His, his sin was pride. He fell in love with himself. And in Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.6, it says, in selecting elders and deacons in the church, it says, but a novice, less being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. In other words, we are not to appoint people to leadership in the church who are beginners, who are novices, because what happens is they, they get all puffed up in their ego and their pride. They do far more harm than good in the body of Christ. I, I just say this. You know, I see people, they're preachers in, in preacher school in their first year. You'd think that they were Charles Spurgeon. You, you would think that they were John MacArthur. You would think they were one of the greatest theologians in the world. They, they think they are. And they're just, they're just filled with pride. I want to say this to you. I've been preaching the word now for 40 years. And I realize at this time, I only know a tip of the iceberg. And the iceberg is incredibly vast under the sea. That I only know, I only know a fraction, a tiny fraction of really God's will. God's way. It's like, it's like, Job, I'm, I'm in the book of Job, and you know you have Job's friends, right? And Elihu and his three friends, and they, they knew it all. They knew it all, and they knew nothing. They knew it all about God. They knew it all about his will. They knew it all, and they knew nothing. And God rebukes them, and even Job. Job is totally off on, on everything that he believes. Some of it's right. Most of it was wrong. And God said this, he said, Who is this that darkens my counsel, who speaks empty words without knowledge? Raise yourself up like a man, answer me now, if you can. And after God talks about his greatness and glory, what did Job say? I put my hand over my mouth. I put my hand over my mouth. You know, I want to tell you, for the sermon that I give to you on a Sunday or a Wednesday, 
80% of the rest of the time during the week, I have my hand over my mouth, sitting at the Lord's feet, trying to understand, yielding to the Spirit to understand His Word. Satan, again, just filled with pride. Look at Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 14, 12 through 15. Again, this is an oracle against the king of Babylon, but again, it talks about Satan here. And it talks about his actual fall. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Son of the morning. The son of, uh, of light is what he was called. He, he is the light bearer. He is the shining one, the master piece of God. And he says, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Now watch the six I wills. Six of them. I just want you to stop and think about this. The six I wills of Satan, of rebellion. Go to the Garden of Gethsemane with me. We were there a few weeks ago. And you have the three, not my wills, but yours be done, of our Savior. By the way, six is the number of the devil. Three and seven are the numbers of God. So watch, watch here what he says. For, I have, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven... I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, right above the angels. I will also sit on the mount of congregation on the farther side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. I will, I will, I will, I will. You know, when you start saying I will, you are in trouble. Guess who's got control of your life? The original creature of I will. All right, number three. The enemy led a rebellion. Revelation chapter 12, 3 and 4, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. That is Satan. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman and was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Speaking about the birth of Jesus, right, what did Herod do? He tried to kill Jesus by killing the babies of Bethlehem. Speaks about a, an angelic rebellion. One third of the angels of heaven followed Satan in this rebellion. And they were cast down to the earth. He lost his high place. They lost their high place. They got bounced out of heaven by Michael, the archangel. Bounced right out of heaven by him. The fourth, the enemy has a temporary kingdom. So in Revelation chapter 12, 7 through 9, it says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Where is his kingdom? Right here, right now. In 1 John chapter 5, 19, it says, We know that we are of God in the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Do you ever wonder? you ever sit and wonder, why is there so much evil in the world? 
Right? Why are there wars and there is genocides and there is rape and there is murder and there is pillaging and there is theft and there is so much evil in the world? If God were good, right? this, is, this is what leads a person into atheism. This is what kind of led me into atheism as a young man. If, God, if, if there is a God and he is good, by the way, just that idea of God, where did we ever get the idea that God was good? Because I believe he put that in our hearts, every heart. But if God were, were good, why is there so much pain, so much suffering, so much evil in the world? I want to tell you this. I've read thousands of books. You go up and you see the books in my library here or my home. I've read philosophy. I've read psychology. I've read the poets. I've read the theologians. And they all, they all will have a piece to the puzzle. There's certain truths. You will, you will find certain truths in, in, in religions. You will find certain truths in philosophy. You will find certain truths in the poems of, of, of Longfellow or Tennyson. But they are just pieces. See, the Bible, it doesn't give you a piece to the puzzle. It gives you the whole puzzle. If you really get into the Bible, you begin to understand. You begin to understand the world, where you came from who you are, what you are, where you're going, where humanity is going, why bad things happen to good people, all these questions that we ask as human beings, you'll, you'll find them in the Bible. And the Bible tells us why there is pain and there is evil in this world, and that is because God is not at this time the king of the world. Satan is. He's in control. When Adam and Eve sinned, and essentially when Adam sinned, you know what he did? He gave the deed to the earth to Satan. And Satan has the deed. Now when Jesus died on the cross, there's a process that's happening right now and can happen in your life. You can be set free from the ruler of this world if you would choose to come under the dominion and lordship of Jesus Christ. Look at how, how bold Satan is in his understanding that he is the... God of this age. When Jesus was tempted, it says again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. You see, throughout the scriptures, John 12.31, he is called the ruler of this world. John 14.30, he is called the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4, he is called the God of this age. He is the influence of this age over the masses, the 8 billion people who live on earth. I want to show you something, just to put this in perspective this is the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina. Sue and I, many years ago with my daughter Chrissy, we, take a, we took a tour of it. It was one of the least exciting uh, events that I have ever done in my life. After, after seeing 100 rooms, you were, you, you were ready to vomit. But there are 210, room, 210 rooms, and uh, right now there are 80,000 acres. There were originally, when Biltmore was alive, there were 125,000 Acres. They've basically given some uh, to the state uh, that they use for a national park. And um, I just want you to, to notice, if you imagine that, that entire estate, that is God's kingdom, all of this. And you can imagine, again, imagine 125,000 acres. 
Do you see the shack in the picture? Look carefully. You see the shack right there, right, right, right there is the shack. All of the Biltmore estate is the kingdom of God. This, this vast universe, and God knows how many others there are, how many other dimensions there are. The scientists tell us ten. I found nine in the Bible. But that little shack right there, that's planet Earth. That's where Satan has dominion right now. Do you get it? He is not God. To, to, compare, to compare Satan with God would be like comparing Brock Lesnar. Remember Brock Lesnar, the UFC heavyweight champion? 290 pounds of muscle, a wrestler, a boxer. It would be like comparing Brock Lesnar with Pee Wee Herman. Really? God is so much greater, so much more powerful, so much more mighty than Satan. So just to, to put that in perspective, I don't want you walking out of here saying, geez, everything is under Satan's control. It's not. Just where we live right now. We're in enemy territory right now. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon to see that. You don't even need to turn on the nightly news to see that. You can see it in people's lives that are around you as they struggle. They struggle. That they're deceived. Their eyes are, are blinded from the love and the light and the grace and salvation that God has given to us through Jesus. Here's number four or five. The enemy has an organized army. Important to understand, the enemy is not omnipresent. As God is omnipresent, God is in all places. He fills all things. Satan cannot be in more but one place. So how does he have such tremendous influence all over the world? Because he has an army. And it's described here in Ephesians 6.12. And we'll dig into Ephesians 6.12 next week as we look at the armor of God. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He has got a well-organized army, just as a military will have generals, and they'll have colonels, and they'll have majors, and they'll have lieutenants, and they'll have sergeants, and they'll have corporals, and they'll have foot soldiers. He's got a very well-organized army, and you get into some of these words, principalities and powers and rulers, principalities. He's got, he's got these fallen angels who basically control certain areas of the world, certain nations, certain cities. The prince of Persia, the prince of, of Greece in the book of Daniel. They were territorial principalities, fallen angels who were in control of those geographical areas. Look at the United States of America. Do you see certain cities that seem to be more under the control of Satan than others? My goodness, there, there, there are cities and towns in America you could go out at 12 o'clock, you could leave your door open, you can go out and walk the dog right through the neighborhood with no fear at all. Would you do that in New York City, or Chicago, or San Francisco, or Los Angeles? Or think about it. There's, there, there, there are cities that have been given over, territorial cities, rulers, world leaders, mayors, governors who are under his control. There are demons who are in control of them. 
I mean, you look at the world right now. Is there even one leader in all the world who ever gives glory and honor to God? Is there? Please, please, maybe you can send me the video because I haven't seen it. In Washington, you look at the president and his cabinet. Are there, are there any who, who give any kind of glory or honor to God? The rulers of this army are in control. These spiritual hosts, these evil people. The sixth, the enemy is relentless. He is a relentless opponent. He just, he, he keeps coming. One attempt after another. He is tenacious, he is tireless. He is truly relentless. It tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Like a roaring, you see a roaring lion on the prowl. A predator. What do they seek? Who do they seek? They seek the weak. They seek the vulnerable. They, they seek them just, just as human predators. When Fernando walks down the street... The predator isn't going to bother him. The predator will bother the older person. The predator will bother the child. The predator will go after the woman. They seek, they seek the weak. And they go after them. That's true in the physical realm as, as it is in the spiritual realm. Let me say some, something to you. I believe in physical preparation against violence. You all know that. But I also believe in spiritual preparation against spiritual violence. Some people say, well, no, I'm just, gonna, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray for the protection of God. You know what we should do here? Let's disconnect the fire alarms. Let's, let's disconnect and, and get all of the fire extinguishers out of the church because we're just going to believe that God is going to protect us for a fire. Of course not. That's foolishness. I believe in, in, in truly developing an awareness against the realm around us here on earth as well as the realm of the spirit because the enemy will use people to hurt us, to harm us. He prowls around like a roaring lion. Let's take a look at a roaring lion. And watch, watch this video. Go get the sound up. A little Cape Buffalo. Notice...
got us compared the enemy too. He stalks us. Parmesan. Because if I showed you the rest of the video, you ain't going to ever eat veal parmesan again. That's what the enemy does, though. He's prowling around, looking for who he can devour. The vulnerable, right? The weak. The spiritually weak. The spiritually vulnerable. This is not, when we get into the spiritual, it's not how big or strong you are. Not how tough you are. He will annihilate you. Satan will, he, he can, he and his angels can annihilate us like that. So look, look at what Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. Ultimately, his, his greatest goal is to destroy your soul in hell. He knows he's going there, and he knows his time is short. But you know what? He will take your body if you'll give it to him. He'll take your mind. If you give it to him, he'll take your marriage. He'll take your children. If you give it to him. So he is, he is the roaring lion. Who is relentless and tenacious. He's a murderer. He's a killer. You look at history. This is the history of the world. He can't hurt God. So he hurts the thing that God loves, people. He loves them so much that he died on the cross to save them. He loves people. I want to show you, I want to show you something key. In John chapter, 1 John, I put a one before that. 1 John 5.18. Just not to leave you hanging in helplessness. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. The word is hamartia, sin. It means the person who is born of God does not intentionally miss the mark. The person who is born of God has a desire to do God's will, right? To live according to God's way, to be in God's word. It's not, it's not saying that the person is going to live a perfectly sinless life. Again, sometimes in the English we, we, we miss things that are very clear in the Greek. Sin, hamartia, to miss the mark. But he who has been born of God, the person who has been born of the Spirit, the person who has the Spirit of God within them, who has given their life to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but he who has been born of God keeps himself. I want you to notice that. He keeps himself. That word keep, you know what that speaks about? He clings to God. He clings to Jesus. If you are a, a true believer, that's what you're doing, right? You, you cling. I cling to Jesus. He's my Lord, he's my Savior, he's my God. You, you cling, you hold on to him. And it says, and the wicked one does not touch him. The wicked one does not. And the word touch, the word here speaks about, the word is haptu. He doesn't cling to them. It's the word of an animal, wild animal, getting their claws into a person or getting their claws into a, 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 another animal. You ever seen a, a wolverine? 
the most tenacious creature on the earth. They could take on a bear, a grizzly bear. But a wolverine will get its claws into, into its opponent. It won't let go. And that's what Satan does. But you know what? Understand what it's saying. For he who has been born of God, he keeps himself. If we are keeping ourselves, if we are clinging to Jesus, the enemy cannot cling to us. He can't get that influence over our life or get that control over our life. But again, we have to cling to the Lord. We have to keep it. This, this is not for the lazy. This is not for the apathetic. This is not for people who are playing church. Listen to me. This is not for people who are playing church with God. If you're here today playing church, this is speaking about people who are very serious about their faith and they cling to God because we live in a battlefield. And that battlefield is not a place for the lazy or the apathetic or procrastinators or people who hesitate because that will lead quickly to destruction. Number seven, the enemy is a liar. In John 18, 44, it says, you are of your father the devil, speaking to the Pharisees, and the desire of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He just lies, continues. You ever meet someone who is just a compulsive liar. A sociopathic liar. And you know what, see, they lie without any conviction, without any conscience. They just lie. And they are so conditioned to lie that they basically lie all the time, even when it doesn't matter. They just are so conditioned to lie. I met someone like that, and I'm usually very discerning and for a time he really fooled me brought a lot of harm into my family just compulsive and that's a person that is a person again they could be in the church they could look very Christian remember the child abuse scandal in the Roman Catholic Church which is still going on how a man in my position can stand up before a congregation week after week using the Lord's name while molesting children. Just sociopathic liars. A sociopathic liar. And that's what Satan is. Satan, Satan is that sociopathic liar who just, again, he, he lies compulsively. Number eight. The enemy masquerades as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians chapter 11.4 And no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He doesn't reveal himself like this. Because if he did, he would scare the hell out of people. Literally. Literally. If Satan came to a hardcore atheist and appear to him like that, he would scare the atheism and the hell right out of the person, and he would scare him into heaven. He doesn't come like that. He comes like this. He's handsome. He's charismatic. He's smooth. He tells you what you want to hear. He makes you feel good. 
He offers your stuff that makes you feel good. It, it, it makes me feel so good. In the end, it destroys. It can destroy a body. It can destroy a mind. It can destroy a marriage. It can destroy a family. It can destroy a person, their soul in hell. But Satan is a masquerader. He is the great pretender. Gloria, where are you? Remember the song, The Great Pretender? I am the great pretender. Pretending that you're... He is the great pretender. Let me tell you something. This is what God's called me to do. If not, man, I'd be singing in Hollywood and Las Vegas. Remember when I was talking about the ego and pride? We think we're far better than we are. You ever see when people sing, we always think we sound better than everybody else. Lenny's been telling me that for years, right? <laughs> okay, let me move on. The enemy has children. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed. He has seed and her seed. This is God speaking directly to Satan at the fall in the garden, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus will crush his head in the future. But again, Satan has children. In John 8.44, he told the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil. In Matthew 13.38, the field is the word and the good seed are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. They grow up side by side, sometimes very hard to be able to discern which are the seed of God, which is the seed of the devil, which are wheat and which are tares. And you know what, I want to give you something here. The ultimate acid test, the acid test to determine the seeds of the devil and the seeds of God are, is in 1 John 3.10. He says, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. There's the acid test. It is not a confession. It is not a confession. It is not standing in church, hooting, hollering, lifting your hands, clapping your hands, kneeling, standing, sitting, whatever a person does. It is not in the confession. It is in the practice of righteousness and their love for their fellow man. Even that practice may be imperfect, but they are practicing it. Number 10, the enemy is a tempter. Matthew chapter 4, 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. He is called the tempter. When he tempts us, look, this is fruit. I don't know what the fruit was in the garden. Some people say it was an apple. We don't know what it was. Probably something even greater than an apple, better than an apple. But there are two types of fruit. See the fruit on the left. If Satan came and tempted you with that kind of fruit, would you bite into it and eat it, right? Unless you're deranged or something. But he comes to us with a really good-looking apple, a shiny apple, an apple that looks delicious. Look at the shape. Look at the color of that apple. That's a delicious apple, my favorite of all apples. But he tempts us with that which is attractive, not with the ugly. He entices our flesh, our sinful nature, with pride, with lust, with the ego. Number 11, the enemy is a slanderer. 
Revelation chapter 12, 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. He is the accuser of the brethren. He slanders us. I want to tell you the difference, the difference between Satan's slander and the Holy Spirit's convicting. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, he is always drawing us and leading us to the grace and the love and the cross of Christ for forgiveness. The Holy Spirit will convict me if I am doing something wrong. He will always bring me to the cross. of He draws me with those tender cords of mercy and brings me to the cross where I can experience forgiveness and grace and restoration in my relationship with God. When Satan slanders us and accuses us, he wants us to feel shame. Shame. There's a difference between shame and guilt. He wants us to feel shamed. And you know what happens when a person becomes consumed with shame? They move further away from God instead of closer to God. How could I ever go to God being this this horrible person, doing the horrible things that I have done, saying the horrible things that I've said, right? He He just drives us away. And he will come and he will accuse you. He accuses you right before God. And number 12, the last one, the enemy is ultimately doomed. Praise God. In Revelation 20, verse 10, it says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That is what, again, Ezekiel and Isaiah in the oracles were saying. He will be cast into the lake of fire where he will be tormented day and night for all eternity. It is, it is not a place of fun when you, get the, when you get the hardcore sinner who says, well, I'm going to go to hell and I'm going to be partying down there with all my buddies drinking and doing drugs and having sex. That's not what hell is. It's described as fire. It's described as darkness. And it's described as a place where there is gnashing of teeth, where people are angry at God. That is our enemy. So here's a, here's a final note. Again, I don't want to leave you in despair. Revelation 12, verse 11. We just sang the song. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. I want you to notice this. Notice that, again, I say this to Lenny all the time. That song, they leave out, and they did not love their lives to the death. It's not a popular word in the time that we live in, in the church. But they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? Well, you know what? When Satan comes, I have been cleansed. I have been washed. I have been sanctified. I have been forgiven. I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. I am no longer yours. I am no longer yours. I am no longer under your dominion. I am no longer under your rule. You have no power over me. You have no power over me. I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. Do you have a testimony? My testimony is that 40 years ago, on January 15th, around the corner here, I bowed myself before the kitchen sink and I took Jesus Christ into my life as my Lord and Savior and I became his. I went went from being under 
the power of Satan to the power of God. I went from being under the dominion of his world system to coming under the dominion of the kingdom of God. And he has been there for me for the last 40 years. I haven't always, always been perfect. I haven't always lived up to his expectations. But my testimony is, but he has always upheld me. He has always held me. He has always been there for me. He has always forgiven me when I failed. He has always loved me. He has always poured his grace out upon me. And he has always shown me his mercy day in and day out. That is my testimony. And they did not, for him, and they did not love their lives to the death. These were people through the centuries and in the book and in, in, in the tribulation and the revelation, these are people who were martyred. They were martyred. They loved Christ more than their own life here on earth. They loved Christ so much greater than their own life on earth. Satan can't touch that person. <laughs> he, can't, he can't touch that person. That person is bulletproof. That, that person is fiery arrowproof. The, per, the person who loves God more than their own life, Satan can't harm them. When, when Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, take up your cross. Some people take that as, you know what, your cross is your mother-in-law. You need to endure it. That's not what he is saying. Those people, by taking up their cross, they were going to crucifixion. We have brothers and sisters right now in northern Africa, in Nigeria, in China, in other parts of the world, who are being murdered for their faith every day. They did not love their lives to the death. That's something you have to, you have to resolve in your heart. He may never ask you to be martyred. But it's something you have to resolve. Do, do I love Jesus more than my life? Do I love Jesus more than these things? Remember when Jesus said to Peter, do you love me more than these, Peter? Do you love me more than these? Three times he said, do you love me more than them? What these? What these, Jesus? These other men. This, this job that you had as a fisherman right on the Sea of Galilee. Your vocation. Do you love me more than all these things? Again, that, that person who comes to that place and they say, I love Jesus supremely, and they live that out every day. Satan can't get a foothold in their life. He can't get control of their life. That's a place of incredible power. So today I hope you learned a little about the enemy. I hope it moves you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Next week we'll get into the armor of God and then we'll get into the tactics that God has given us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. And Lord God, we thank that, Lord, as believers, we have a place that's being prepared for us but Lord God, you haven't left it there. You've given us instructions. You've given us guidance, Lord God. You've given us, Lord God, a battle plan to 
fight while we are here on earth, to defend while we are here on earth, to occupy for this time that we have here on earth, Lord God, because we are in enemy territory. And there is a tenacious enemy, Lord, who is out there. So I pray, Lord God, we take this word to our hearts. Lord, let it be something that, Lord God, we don't walk away with today, Lord God, but something that we forget. Let us be into it, Lord God. Maybe we need to watch it a few times to allow these, these truths to be really implanted in our hearts. And I pray, Lord God, that you would do that. That we would not lose one soul, Lord God, who are here in this building today to the enemy. From the littlest child to the oldest adult. And that, Lord God, we would, Lord God, leave here today as warriors. Warriors of the kingdom. In your authority and power. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? We'll open the altars if you would like to come forward. Thank you, Pastor. Yes, the altars are open for you. Please take advantage of the time you have here before the rest of the day crowds in. Perhaps you want to spend a little time praying on your own or with somebody. Take this world, but give me Jesus. In
Father, in Jesus' name, Lord God, go with us now as we go into the mission field, Lord God, into a battleground. Lord God, let's walk in your power, in your strength, in your authority. Mm. And Lord God, I pray that the Father, Son, and Spirit go with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 